Believe it or not, I was walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's L.E. Check one, check two, checks on the mic. Hello, everybody. Professor Dave is in the house. He's debuting from Comic Book Herald. Thanks for joining live on CBH Live here on YouTube on the CBH channel. If you like what I'm doing here or anticipate that you might, maybe you've never been here before, but you're thinking now, I see this gentleman, he looks scholarly, he's got glasses on, he's not wearing a hat, definitely a professional. I would love to subscribe. Please do that, like the channel, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Um, I will be here weekly, generally talking about comic books, but often talking academia, talking scholarship, just some of my interests and passions as they come up. Thanks to those of you who are here live. We have an exciting day today is going to be an Al Ewing special. We're going to talk Venom. We're going to talk the new Immortal Thor. I have an apology to give to the listeners of CBH Live. Those don't come often. Uh, and then maybe we'll talk. Maybe we'll rank the Fall of X books. I think all of the new books in Marvel's Fall of X and the X-Men line have been released now. We can kind of rank what do we think are the best, where are they going. Uh, I also want to hear from you in the chat today. Okay, Immortal Thor releases today. First issue from Al Ewing and team. Following hot on the heels of Immortal Falk. Uh, Immortal Falk. <laughs> Which is, of course, when Hulk and Thor have a baby, you get Immortal Falk. Um, that's the next series, but that's what the question is, right? That's the question. What Immortal book from Ewing do you want next? We had Immortal Hulk. Now we have Immortal Thor. Kieran Gillen's over there doing Immortal X-Men. Which, listen, I love Kieran. I, I really enjoy Immortal X-Men. Um, it still feels wrong. It feels like Immortal should be owned by Ewing specifically. Listen, it's not, it's no shade. I promise you, it's zero shade to the book that I've called the the 1A to 1B matching Al Ewing's X-Men Red, but it just feels wrong. It just feels wrong. I get the pun. I get why X-Men Red made more sense. Um, we got a question here from Sorgolon. Is Thulk thick with two Cs? Of course, of course, Thulk is the thickest. Listen, I'll tell you what. If Marvel gets wind, I know, listen, they like to listen to me. They like to know what's Dave thinking, what's going to get the comic audiences jazzed and juiced. Um, if they hear me drop Thulk, I guarantee you Dan Slott's writing a special right now. Guarantee you that book is in the works as we speak. Okay, let's see. But get your thoughts in. Get in your new immortal titles that you want to see Ewing do after Thor, which is hopefully like four or five years down the road, <laughs> right? We're talking a ways away, way too soon to be doing that, but I think we can be talking about it. I'm seeing here from Dan H., great voice. Thank you very much. MV asks, new host. That's right, Professor Dave is in the house. I'm substituting today for that young whipping, snapping daddy, as the kids are saying, uh, Dave Busing, who traditionally hosts these. I am his professor. I am his professor. I've actually taught him what he knows, uh, but it is very nice of you to say that I have a great voice as well because that's one of the compliments that that Zaddy often gets uh, is about his voice. Although I have had the occasional YouTube criticism, which I got to say, like any any criticism hurled towards me for, for podcasting or, or YouTubing is always going to sting a little bit, right? It's always one of those things where it's like, I don't care how irrelevant... 
<laughs> your thoughts are, if you say something specific, I've probably thought about it before, and I probably have a mild worry that you're right, with the exception of those who've come in and been like, hey, maybe you should get someone else to narrate. You don't have the voice for it. <laughs> like that is, that is the thing that I have gotten the most positive feedback and have the most confidence in since I was a lad. I, I woke up like this. I came out talking like this. Um, and it's, it's always been <laughs> worked out just fine for me. Uh, okay. Let's see. So far we got uh, Immortal Spider-Man suggested. Listen, do I want Al to write a Spider-Man book? It kind of. Does the Immortal legacy work with our guy Spider-Man? Mm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know that it feels like a fit. Immortal Man-Thing. That's actually an interesting pick. That I kind of like. Immortal Dupe when? Great question. Immortal Immortus. Fantastic. Good work, James S. That's really good. The Immortal Inhumans. Not bad. It's kind of interesting. What are the Inhumans up to? What do you think they're doing these days? Nothing interesting. Immortal Modoc, Five-issue miniseries. Hmm. Hmm. How about just Immodoc? But it's all an acronym. The Immortal Eternals. I thought of that as well. That's from Vincent here. Um, it's a good joke. That's <laughs> all we need it to be. It's all we need it to be. The Immortal Storm. That's what X-Men Red is. It's basically what X-Men Red is. Right? Immort Al Ewing. Vincent, you've won. You've won it. Congratulations. Prize today goes to Vincent Cavanaugh for the Immort Al Ewing that's, that's the best answer I've seen. And we're not going to surpass that. We're not going to do it. So let's talk about what's coming today. All right. Before we dive into the comics, let me apologize. Let me apologize publicly. Let me apologize profusely. To those of you here on the stream who do your best every week to show up and listen to me talk comics, I would like to apologize to those of you who over the last year have been telling me Venom's really good. Venom's <laughs> really flipping good now. And I said, ah, never works. Ah, it's not for me. I was talking about the old Venom. I was talking about the load management era with Rom V and Al Ewing co-writing the book where they alternated issues, which did not work. But throughout the entirety of 2023, it has basically been a solo Al Ewing show. And it is one of Marvel's best comics. Okay? I reread Venom leading up to today's new issue number 24. Because we got my guy Dr. Doom involved. Right? So I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta re-catch up and go see what's going on here. It's really good. <laughs> it's a really good book. Y'all were right. Y'all were right. Venom is back. Venom is back on the menu, boys. Um, good, co like, huge cosmic stuff. The, the issue, what is it, 18 or 19? where Al just goes hard cosmic and does the Ivory Kings or the Beyonders, and they're the Kings in white, and Venom's now the King in black. Reminds me a lot of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing anatomy lesson. I went there. I went there re-envisioning what Venom can be. Also, Al Ewing just out here saying, okay, I can be this era's Jim Starlin. Just owning that. Love that. Love that for Al. So again, I owe everyone who championed this book this year specifically an apology. If you've been championing it from the beginning... No, you're still wrong. <laughs> you should apologize to me. Oh, there goes the filter. There goes the filter. Uh, okay, so 
Load Management Era did not work for me. Solo Al on Venom does work. I would say Marvel's best right now. We can get it to five. X-Men Red, Immortal X-Men, Venom, Fantastic Four, and Moon Knight. Uh, not necessarily in that order for Venom, FF, and Moon Knight. But that gives us five good Marvel comics in August 2023. I think we can throw Children of the Vault into that list from the Fall of X X-Men side. Uh, otherwise, though, I need a seventh. I need a seventh. Who's going to get there? Is it going to be Immortal Thor? We're going to talk about that today. It's definitely going to be Immortal Thor. It'll get there by the end of the year as well. Uh, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Just seeing if there's any interesting comments. All right, so get in your immortal suggestions today. Get in your plot synopses for Thulk number one by Dan Slott and Greg Land. That's probably going to be coming out in November or December. And also get in your suggestions for a number seven or number eight good Marvel comic. Okay. Maybe let's just let's just call Immortal Thor seven. Bit of a spoiler about how I'm gonna feel about that. Give me a number eight. Can I get to eight? If I get to eight, I can publish a list. Give me a second here. All right, everybody cover theirs. Okay, filters back on. Got too excited, Professor. Listen, it's my first time. It's my first time. I'm usually in the classroom teaching calculus, um, collegiate level calc. It's actually more like quantum theory. You, all right, let's talk Immortal Thor. It's a good comic. It's a real good comic. I like good comics. Good comics are fun. Both Immortal Thor and Venom playing with similar big concepts. Would not have predicted this, but playing with similar big cosmic sort of, uh, uh, what's the word? Not pragmatic. What is existential? There we go existential concepts, playing with free will, with breaking free of determinism, of destiny, and of known story. Now, this has kind of been Loki's journey in the Kieran Gillen written journey into mystery, and then in the subsequent series by Al Ewing back in 2014, Loki, Agent of Asgard. They transformed Loki from the god of lies, god and goddess of lies, to the god and goddess of stories. Okay, and Ewing does a great job following up on what Gillen established there in Journey into Mystery, but you can see that resurfacing in a lot of really interesting ways in both Immortal Thor number one today and Venom previously. It's the Venom piece of this that's more unexpected, right? Because what is happening in Venom, as we see in that very cosmic issue, again, it's either 18 or 19, is Eddie Brock is now trapped in a cycle of the symbiote's king in black, where he his destiny is preordained. He is locked in this cycle and doesn't know how to break free. And there's a line from Loki in Immortal Thor that I think captures what is happening in both series very, very well. What if the future was unwritten, the present uncontained? What if we could go anywhere, do anything, be anyone? This is especially relevant for the, for the stories of Thor, and Loki, because they go through the cycles of Ragnarok. This has long been a theme in Marvel Comics. If we're playing off as Guardian myth, right, as Thor comics regularly do to various effect, Ragnarok is kind of the end conclusion. But here's the thing <laughs> about Marvel Comics. They've been there, done that with Ragnarok, 
right? Several times. And then you also have the thing of, okay, if Loki is this character that is forever destined to be the trickster and the god of lies and the villain of the story, then what interesting surprises can happen? <laughs> okay? What changes can be made? It's an interesting thing to look at. I think Al Ewing looking at this, it's not just specific to a Thor or to a Venom. It is specific to all of Marvel Comics. There are two quotes in this book, in Immortal Thor, that I flipping love, that to me, throw down the gauntlet, okay, to all of Marvel Comics. Not just, like, creatively, editorially, vision-wise, throw down the gauntlet, I think, and say, too long have you chosen illusion over change. That, to me, feels like a very direct, very direct call-out of the famous quote, often attributed, I feel like misattributed, although I can't remember who really said it, to Stan Lee, which is Marvel comics are about the illusion of change. And if you haven't heard that before, all it means is that Marvel is a forever story. The goal of Marvel comics, which they have accomplished, <laughs> is to run forever. Spider-Man starts in 1963. Here we are in 2023. Spider-Man is still going. A little bit older. <laughs> a little bit older, a little bit worse for the wear, but still going. The illusion of change, right? And it's storytelling that means mild progression, walk it back, three steps forward, four steps back, mild progression, walk it on back, give the illusion that things are changing when the reality is we are on a treadmill and we are going nowhere fast, right? And this has been the challenge for superhero comics, like we said, for 70 flipping years, okay? Maybe longer. Al's calling that out directly. Too long have you chosen illusion over change. I think this is super important for X-Men comics. This is super important for the X-Men line where you're looking at the House of X, and you're looking at powers of 10, that is change over illusion. And then the disillusionment over where it went post-Hickman, post-Inferno, potentially feeling like, oh, we're back to illusion over change. We're not going anywhere. Fall of X feels like a potential recovery in the right direction, right? Are we on the treadmill or are we off the treadmill, right? That's the challenge. How do you actually tell a new story that hasn't been told in these things that are meant to go forever and have had so many iterations. It's a fascinating concept. It's a really something I'm super interested in, and I love that Al's tackling it here in the pages of Immortal Thor. The other quote, all things must live and grow and wither and die. This age of marvels can be no exception. Those are reboot words, <laughs> okay? Taken to their ultimate meta conclusion. Those are reboot words. This age of marvels can be no exception to withering and dying. That's a big one. It's a big one. I love that Al's playing with the concept. It's very much in the, the realm of what, as a creator, he was writing about in the pages of the Defenders saga, especially Defenders Beyond, where you were looking at the various iterations of the Marvel Universe and kind of, again, very metatextually looking at how can we push this thing to actually be new, to not be stuck in the illusion of change. How do we make it be something else? Is this age of marvels 
do for a reboot? Is that the only way out? What do you do? Al's thinking about these things in the page of Mortal Comics, or <laughs> Mortal Comics, um, well, that'd be a cool line, actually. But no, in the pages of Mortal X-Men, is Marvel editorial? Doesn't seem like it, doesn't feel like it, but Al's throwing down the gauntlet here, okay? And talking about it, and I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Be still my heart. Al, keep it going. Immortal Thor rules, as we expected it would. Obviously, it's going to take several more issues, I think, before we, we really get the full scope of like, okay, is this on in Immortal Hulk level? I don't think Immortal Thor number one hits with the force that Immortal Hulk number one hit with, um, but it's not trying to in the same ways. You know, it's definitely, I think, whereas Immortal Hulk, you could kind of tell from Jump, like, oh, this is this is a version of Hulk comic storytelling that we've never seen before. At, at least never this confidently and this this um, well done. Like, that was pretty clear from the first issue, I remember. Immortal Thor doesn't feel like that. It feels like a really good first issue in the next Thor series, which is still a good thing, right? So, but I'm curious, within the next two issues or so, can Al get back to a place of, oh, wow, this is this is bigger and bolder than anything we've seen in Thor. Like, truly, the first issue here, which, again, I really enjoyed, does feel a lot like the Donny Cates, Nick Klein first issue of Thor. Um, way back when. <laughs> what was that? Four years ago? Three years ago? I don't even remember. Very similar in a lot of ways. You have Thor as the king of Asgard. Odin's still gone. You have a giant cosmic storm-based enemy <laughs> that we barely talk about coming into the picture. Very similar openings in those regards. Um, Al Ewing does seem interested in playing with not only as guardian legend, but like just mythology in general in bigger, broader ways. The new villain here, what is it, Tyrannos or something like that? Um, that's like a Celtic variation of, like, a Thor-like god. You have the Utgard gods. This is something that Marvel has played with, which is also referenced in Norse mythology. Um, as a low, It can be a lot of things, but it's kind of like... The idea is, and what Al is extending it to, is, like, Utgard being this location beyond the Ten Realms, kind of like a fourth world, you know? kind of. And, and the way Al sells it is, like, okay, the, the Asgardians are gods to humans. Who are the gods to the Asgardians? Right, who are the cosmic entities who are a level above even where they are? Um, that's a cool premise, but again, it's really not entirely dissimilar from like the Black Winter <laughs> at the start of the Cates and the Klein run, and that that faded, and that didn't hit on its potential, I don't think. Um, so the question, I think, it'll be very interesting to see issue two, issue three. Okay, what direction are we going? Is this going to have? that sort of unimpeachable, oh, this is the best thing Marvel's publishing feel that Immortal Hulk had very quickly. Because Immortal Hulk got there, like, right away. Right away. Um, right now, it's not there yet, but, like, <laughs> that's a pretty high bar. That's a pretty high bar. Uh, but that's that's how the story's going to be talked about, you know, because it comes in the, in the wake of that. So I'm curious what you all thought of Immortal Thor number one. It's definitely my, I mean, my recommendation for a must-read Marvel book of the week. I don't think anything else uh, even approaches it that came out today. Um, 
I did enjoy Venom number 24 as well, though. As long as we're on the Ewing train, as long as I'm doing this Ewing spiel, Venom 24 is the clash between the returned Eddie Brock and Dr. Doom. We go to Latveria. Both Al and Ryan North recently have played Dr. Doom for some really good yet in-character comedy, which I really, really enjoyed. They have not taken a uber-serious... Like, they're not afraid of Doom. <laughs> and I don't mean that in the Marvel Universe sense of, like, shaking in your boots. This guy's in, you know, the most powerful, uh, just, you know, villain on the planet. But I mean it in the sense of, like, this is a character with tremendous gravity. And as creators, it's both a challenge, but also, like, I could see how that would be intimidating. You know, you see creators walk up to Doom, and they're kind of not ready to inhabit the shoes of Lee and Kirby and all the greats that have come before, and you get this watered-down, weak version of the villain, and I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I think there's an especially a challenge in coming to Doom and presenting comedy, because you can seem like you are cynical, you can feel like you are making fun of a fandom that loves this character, and both Ewing and North pull it off with tremendous aplomb, uh, again, in the pages of Fantastic Four, North's case, and here in Venom. It's a time travel story. It's weird. It's wild. Again, after Dark Web, which I think ends with issue 16 or 17, Venom becomes an Al Ewing solo special. It's super cosmic. It's wild. It brings in Doctor Doom. Um, it's pulling from Golden Age Marvel weirdness, which Ewing is the only individual who has any interest in doing. It's really good. It's really good, and I'm looking forward to Venom number 5 a tremendous amount. So again put a button on it, a mea culpa, whatever that means. I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. To those who said this year, listen, you got to read more Venom. It's actually good now. You were right. And again, I'll be, I'll be waiting for apologies in writing from those who said that earlier than this year. <laughs> you can mail those to davidcomicbookherald.com. All right. I'm going to check some comments while I take a big sip from our sponsor here today. We are sponsored by... Local fridge water with no ice. This is out of a relatively new filter in a relatively clean um, Hulk-sized 48-ounce bottle. This water is uniced. It is tepid at best. Uh, it is lukewarm on a heat wave advisory here in the Chicagoland area. I'm going to take a swig from that while you'll get your thoughts in. Uh, I said the word reboot, which obviously gets people's attention. A few people are asking, do you think uh, this will actually lead to a reboot? No. <laughs> I don't think it's actually heading there. Um, Marvel wouldn't likely do that. I mean, maybe it could. But I no, I don't actually think that. Again, as tempting as that is, and I, if it happens, I'll totally understand. But Marvel has actually avoided it like forever right so you have these kind of lines in the sand moments like 1998 with marvel knights and getting out of heroes reborn and heroes return but like those were the reboots that marvel attempted was the heroes uh reborn universe where they brought in the image creators jim lee rob liefeld to do their avengers units essentially and those kind of sucked and they petered out by the end especially the creators couldn't keep it up kind of the traditional image problems. Um, 
But, like, that's the lesson Marvel has <laughs> in their canon for reboot was, oh, yeah, we had to walk that back, and then we had to, like, recover from that as we went through bankruptcy. And then the more modern example, of course, is DC's New 52, which I could see Marvel looking at it and being far enough renew- removed now, 12 years later, to be like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> they, they drove so many sales with the New 52, which was true in the short term. The New 52 was a explosive moment for DC for about two years. And then it got really flipping hard to sustain and maintain. And by 2016, DC was walking it all back with DC Rebirth. So I do actually like that Marvel hasn't rebooted, again, because they have the flipping Ultimate Comics option, which is coming post-Ultimate Invasion. To me, that's the no-brainer to be like, well, just if you have reboot ideas, just put them there. Um, so no, I don't actually think that's what it's talking about, but I, I, I think it's kind of conceptually and metatextually talking about the idea of, okay, if you don't full-on New 52 it, how do you move the Marvel Age in new directions? What does that look like for Marvel Comics? Which are really interesting questions. These are the kind of questions that should keep C.B. Sabluski up at night. These are the kind of questions that should keep Tom Brevoort up at night. Right? How do you sustain and and refresh a new Marvel age without full on New Fifty Twoing it? Because the New Fifty Two at this point too, if Marvel launches, you know whatever the the New Fifty Three, um, they love mirroring DC stuff. What would it be? The New Six One Six. That's a lot of comics. Marvel would love that. The New Six Hundred Sixteen variant covers. <laughs> They're probably doing that anyway. If they do that, it's a desperation move reeks of desperation, right? Absolutely does. Um, so, you know, that goes along with the territory. That goes along with the territory. Uh, somebody asked here, uh, Christoph asked, aren't the Utgard gods the same as those who sit above in shadow? I thought so. I did. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's textually spelled. Well, it's definitely not textually spelled out, but that was my interpretation as well. Let's see. Uh, the Noir says, Venom was cosmic from the start. It's true. Secret Wars, baby. Nothing more cosmic than Battleworld. All right. Let's see. Uh, Cousin Marcus says, it sucks that we won't get to see what Tony K- Donny Cates had planned for that Thor Thanos Deathstone thing. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> remember? I think, was it Thor number six? Where there, Thor gets a glimpse of the future, and it's Thanos, you know, with, uh, with an infinity Mjolnir or something like that. Yeah, that was never consummated. <laughs> it seems for, uh, I mean, terrible reasons, but terrible in the sense that Donny Cates had a horrible car accident and health mishaps and hopefully is recovering nicely. So I, yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing though, is like, so Cates obviously was not able to, for again, very terrible yet understandable reasons, um, finish that story. If anyone was going to just pick up the pieces of all of the insanity <laughs> that was left behind, it would be Al Ewing, like an absolute continuity wizard. Uh, so don't rule out that Immortal Thor will contain the Thanos Infinity Mjolnir stuff. If anyone was going to just like subtly weave that into their story, and how you can do that subtly is impossible, but it's not the point, it would be Ewing. So the more I talk about like, because my initial reaction is, yeah, that's done. Like, that storyline's not going to get picked up. It's fine. We'll move on. We'll have a, a better story. 
But actually, Al might do that. <laughs> that sounds super fun now that I'm talking about it. So I kind of hope it is in there. Why not? Why flipping not? Let's see. What else do we got? Uh, 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 uh. Okay. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, there's a question here from Banksy. Can Al keep up with three books at such a high level? I do worry about that for a lot of creators. That's a very difficult position to be in. I mean, on one hand, like, listen, everyone involved with Marvel Comics should wake up and their first thought should be, we should give Al a raise. That should be their first thought every morning. Because can you imagine if Al Ewing left for DC or to do creator-owned or whatever, like, next week, how screwed Marvel would be? <laughs> like, like, how well and truly screwed they would be without Al Ewing writing two to three of their best comics all the time. <laughs> you know, like every morning they should wake up and say, oh, we should pay that guy a little more. Um, can he pull it off? <sighs> I'd have to go back and look at how many books was he writing when Immortal Hulk was coming out. Um, it was like, like that's kind of the thing about this creator is like he will pick up anything it feels like a lot of times. I don't, I mean, at the time he was writing Immortal X-Men or Immortal Hulk rather, there was a stretch there where then he was also writing Sword, which was also great. So can definitely pull off two great ones with Immortal Thor and um, and Sword, or, or rather X-Men Red now. And, I mean, I don't know, you throw some of those Defenders minis in there. I, an individual who can do it, I mean, but I would just say, like, this is not a knock on Ewing as a creator. There are no creators in this current comics market who are writing, you know, three knockouts for a single publisher, right? Like, that's... That's just kind of not a thing that happens anymore. Um, not that it ever happens super often, you know, in the first place. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you'd have to go way back to find, you know, and again, it's kind of, I think it is a thing where it's just like time and attention and resources get spread too thin. So can Ewing keep up X-Men Red, Venom, and a great Immortal Thor and throwing in, you know, like a Wasp Mini and Avengers Inc. stuff that he's going to be doing. I mean, it does sound like too much to me. Something's probably going to suffer or get dropped would be my expectation. I think I my hope is Immortal Thor keeps it up. I mean, for me, I, I would guess it's Venom that ultimately gets is the one that kind of suffers and gets dropped. That'd be my prediction. Um, because, again, like, it's a weird direction for the character. I kind of can't imagine sales are fantastic. I would imagine there's still, you know, a percentage of just kind of like ornery Venom fan base who are like, bring back the Cates and Stegman days. Maybe this is based on nothing, but just assumptions. Um, so that to me, like if Ewing was like, yeah, I'm off this series by issue 30. I did 12 awesome issues on Venom. You know, I would not be surprised by that. Would not be surprised. Okay. Let's see. All right. All right, all right, all right. X-Men books that came out today. A new one. Realm of X, number one. Another new one. Kind of a flashback, kind of not. Jean Grey, number one. We also had X-Force, number 43. And then uh, uh, Iron Man, number nine. You know, the X-Men book, Iron Man. 
<laughs> which is true. My favorite X-Book today, Jean Grey number one. Did not see that coming. I've been pretty vocally opposed to the flashback nostalgia series. I appreciate putting money in the pockets of legendary creators like Anne Nascenti and J.M. DeMatteis, but I am not interested in reading the nostalgia books. Um, Jean Grey kind of does both. So this book is written by Louis Simonson, a legend in X-Men for editing Chris Claremont, Uncanny X-Men for quite some time, then writing X-Factor for a boatload of time, uh, as well as Power Pack during the late 80s, uh, the wife of Walt Simonson as well. So kind of just like comics royalty. Um, she comes back here to do a Jean Grey mini that follows in the wake of Jean Grey's death at the Hellfire Gala. And as Jean is dying, you know, her life is flashing before her eyes, but she's also like kind of reliving some moments. So it's both connected to the era and also apart from it. But, but what it winds up doing is this really cool what-if story where Jean goes back to the post-Bendis time-traveling 05, okay? If you're not familiar with this era, 10 years ago, <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis took over the X-Men, and what he did was he had Beast pull forward the original five teen X-Men, Cyclops, Gene, Iceman, uh, uh, Bobby, and, or not Bobby, um, Warren, Angel, and who am I forgetting? Beast himself, a young version, and had them live in this current era to see what they had become, basically. So you pull them forward, and again, this is one of the many crimes of Henry McCoy <laughs> for which he should be held accountable. Uh, but uh, So they, they see all this, and then they travel back, and there's kind of you know a retcon to get them back there um, and kind of a washing of it. But what Simonson does here in the series is says, actually, what if we retain these memories? If the kids were like, no, I'm not going to wipe. If Gene was like, no, I'm not going to wipe our memories. Because we can do so much with the knowledge of what happened. It's actually very similar conceptually to what Moira X was set up to be doing uh, after House of X number two, right? I have the knowledge of what's to come. So what can I do with that to change the future? It's an interesting position to put Gene and the original X-Men. Now, what happens in this what if is Gene like really starts kind of forcing her views and, and toying with people's minds and having her way with them to sort of really ensure mutant safety, which is, again, is a really interesting position to put this young teenage version of Jean Grey. Ultimately, things really go off the rails. We have her reliving these moments. And then, you know, seemingly in issue number two, it's going to be another thing. But I, I really enjoyed how this was not, it's not just a flashback to moments and reliving things. It's actually presenting, again, like a what-if style series um, where it's like, well, what if Gene had this knowledge and took a different path? How would that play out? Enjoyed this way more than I thought it was going to, uh, truly. So I, it is... It is like the first of these nostalgia books I think I would recommend. It also, I mean, it really calls to mind um, what I wanted Marvel to be doing with Moira and what, I, what I've said typically what X-Men Legends should have been. X-Men Legends should have been how Moira reframed or repositioned X-Men events and stories set in the past that we knew about with the knowledge of what was coming. 
that's kind of what Gene's tapping into, or Louis Simonson's tapping into with this book. So that was cool. Dug that. We'll definitely be reading the second issue. Uh, let's see. The other debut was Realm of X number one. Cool team. <laughs> Very cool, unique team. Magic, Mirage, a.k.a. Danny Moonstar, Dust, Curse, Marrow, and Typhoid Mary all got sent post-Hellfire Gala to Vanaheim. Why and how, I do not know. And then we also have, uh, and again, spoilers here, a bit of a Excalibur crossover. And I'll leave it at that. By the end of things, uh, this book was very forgettable, I thought, um, story-wise. It did not capture me at all. Again, I really like the team. I like the potential of an unexpected cast of characters like this. I think Magic being quote-unquote powerless during this time period is interesting. I definitely have questions about how did they get there and why, <laughs> you know, that I'm interested to see. But otherwise, this did nothing for me to make me want to pick up an issue two, which is disappointing. I wish it had. I, I like the premise. A book I like more, another book I like more than I expected, X-Force number 43. Uh, X-Force, you want to talk about Immortal? <laughs> you want to talk about things that go forever? I love, I flipping love the the humor of Colossus and the Mikhail Rasputin's plot, the Russian plot against mutant kind, finally coming to a head after four years of waiting, right as Orcus already made their move and the Russians are <laughs> left with nothing. That is fantastic. I know it's not intentional comedy, but the humor of them finally doing something, <laughs> finally making a move, and being a little bit too late, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Everyone is finally discovering Colossus is a traitor and a mole. It also, I mean, Percy tries to explain why X-Force had no presence at the Hellfire Gala, uh, the general explanation being they were manipulated and controlled by Colossus into thinking they didn't need to be there, and uh, and then they got led through a gate thinking they were going to the gala, only to be ambushed by a thousand Russian super soldiers. It, it works. <laughs> it works. Uh, this book has taken... It is... I go off on this every now and again, but it is really amazing how much runway X-Force has. Like... It's kind of incredible. I, I just, there are so few books in this era that have 43 issues to slow dance their way to a moment like this. And a lot of times I think we'd be celebrating that. You know, a lot of times that could be a great thing. Like it was an Immortal Hulk. Like I hope it'll be an Immortal Thor. Um, but the thing about slow dancing is you don't want to do it for 43 state issues. <laughs> That's <laughs> too slow. Too flippin' slow. Uh, okay, but I did I did think this issue was a, a solid post-Hellfire Gala inclusion. And it does explain, like, why X-Force is so bad at their jobs all the time. All right, ranking the fall of X-Books. Now that we have at least an issue in everything, X-Men Red is my number one. Immortal X-Men 2 Children of the Vault, number three. That's the first new series. And my favorite of the new series, and I anticipate, will, will remain there. Then I would go X-Men. thought issue 25 was solid. Dark X-Men, which I feel like has a lot of potential. Jean Grey, which I never would have guessed would be this high on the list. And then we kind of get into the 
everything from here on out is either mid to bad. Uncanny Avengers, Iron Man, X-Force, Astonishing X-Men, Realm of X, and Alpha Flight in dead last. Absolute dead last is Alpha Flight. It is a separate tier. That tier is in the mud, in the grime, in the dirt. It goes worms, Alpha Flight. Those are my rankings. I'd be curious what other people... Oh, Brayden does point out Uncanny Spider-Man hasn't started. You forgot the hyphen, Brayden, but otherwise you are correct. I will be shocked (laughs) if Uncanny Spider-Man makes a run for the top of this list. But you know what? You know what? I saw some comic creator praise for Cy Spurrier's Flash number one. And I'm excited. I'm excited about Spurrier on the Flash. I feel like um, his work on uh, Kill Them All, his, his not Hellblazer book from Boom Studios, one of my favorite comics of the year. Again, a creator I quite like. I think kind of will benefit from stepping out of the X office a little bit. I, I could definitely see that in a different area. Um, but yeah, those are my rankings for now. So you, you've got a strong first three in Red, Immortal, and Children of the Vault. Then you've got uh, a healthy middle with X-Men, Dark X-Men, Jean Grey, and then you've got the rest. So I'm curious if anyone has any major disagreements, but also any questions, any ideas, any thoughts, get them in now. And we'll wrap up with that. I do think, you know, the Gene stuff with the Mini, with what's been teased, with what happened in the Hellfire Gala... I mean, the odds that she isn't coming back, Phoenix, seem incredibly slim. I think the question is just, what will that mean? And how will that actually have an impact on this era of X-Men comics, right? Those are the big questions, but I think, I mean, listen, Jean's going Phoenix here at some point. Probably post-fall of X. Probably after we get out of here. Okay. Um, What else do we got? What else do we got? Uh, Sir Gorlon says, Immortal Hulk was coming out bi-monthly. Am I wrong? I do not remember that coming out twice a month. If that's right, makes it even more impressive. Publishing two comics a month is like, kind of insane. (laughs) You know, you always got, and that's like part of the Claremont era is coming out at least two times a month, maybe three at one point, because it gets so popular. And it is, it's one of those things where you have to take into account reading it. It's like, yeah, they had to produce these things so flipping fast, comparatively. You know, think about all the creators can't hit a monthly deadline. (laughs) You know, it's a lot of work to make a comic book. It takes a lot to go right, to have a good comic. It's a miracle when something is great, consistently. If that was bi-monthly, I mean, good grief. How was that good for that long? It's incredible. Let's see. Uh, the account named after Jean Grey says Jean Grey is number one for me. <laughs> Can't say I'm shocked. Cannot say I'm shocked. Oh, I forgot to rank. Did I forget to rank Iron Man? No, no. It's there. Right under Uncanny Avengers. Let's see. Oh, we have somebody here calling X-Men Red boring. It's harsh, dog. It's harsh. I can't endorse that. Can't endorse that. <laughs> Braden points out. 
They should have explored Phoenix Echo more. I completely disagree with that, but what that reminds me of is will Al Ewing reference the Jason Aaron Avengers development that the Phoenix is Thor's mom? (laughs) Because in the first issue, he consistently refers to Gaia, the cosmic uh, embodiment of Earth, as Thor's mom. Will Ewing incorporate the bananas continuity wrinkle of Jason Aaron's mashup radio attempt to make Phoenix Thor's mom? My answer, listen, as much as I praised Al for for weaving in Marvel continuity in ways no one else can, some things you just have to let to die. (laughs) Some things you just have to leave to die a slow, sad death, and that should definitely be one of them. Let's see. What else can we do? Banksy asks, are X-Force sales good? I don't know. I just, whatever. Sales are not interesting to me. (laughs) I don't care how much money Marvel and Disney make. It's just never been. It's so weird to me, this culture of fandom obsessed with sales. Um, I mean, I, I certainly, I like the the impact that, like, if Immortal Thor sells a lot, Al Ewing gets to make more good comics like this. Like, obviously, that is a useful, important thing. But it's so irrelevant to the quality of material. It's just so irrelevant. I don't, I never understand how there's large swaths of people that don't seem to understand that. You know? And, like, obviously, it's not entirely devoid of merit. You know? Like, certain things are great, and sell well because of that. Good, as it should be. But lots of things are terrible <laughs> and make plenty of money, you know? Um, broadly, you know, taste is not everyone's forte. Anyway, I don't know. I have no idea what sales are. I, I did have the experience recently. I was looking at, um, actually for the next newsletter, ironically, on CBH, which you can subscribe to if you go to comicbookherald.com. I, I was looking at, so James Gunn, every time he tweets about a comic, it like rises to the top of DC's bestsellers. Okay. Um, so recently he was like, Hey, I read uh, wonder woman Historia. It's pretty good. And all of a sudden that's DC's bestseller, which is interesting. And it's also super cool to see like a lead architect of what is now going to be the DC movie landscape, you know, promoting actual comic books. Like that's fantastic. That's amazing. That's going to bring in new readers. It's going to mean a healthier business for creators. I love that. It's awesome. But it did make me look at, okay, what are the Amazon best-selling charts? And so this is going to be next week's newsletter. DCs make sense. DCs you look at, and it's like all these perennial favorites. You know, they got the Vertigo line. They got Watchmen. They got Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns, right? All that stuff. And then you get seasonal stuff, right? Blue Beetle movie came out, apparently. Um, So they got Blue Beetle comics doing well this time of year. And then the James Gunn reference stuff. All their books kind of make sense. Then you look at the Marvel side of things. <laughs> it is absolutely bananas. It is, listen, if you watch The Bear, it is a chaos menu, okay? I didn't know what they were talking about with chaos menu. They were talking about Marvel's bestseller list on Amazon. Absolute chaos menu. It's wild. Their number one bestselling comic on Amazon is Spider-Ham, a pork, a, <laughs> a porkalypse now, okay? And who among us, who among us can say that they have not had a spirited debate with a friend at a comic shop about... Watchmen versus Apocalypse Now. Who among us hasn't had that conversation? But you go on down the list, and it's just this bizarre, clearly Spider-Verse-influenced selection of, like, 
it's just like some like kid like a lot of kid stuff that you never heard of, but like real young kids, not the YR mar- YA market. Um, there's like very few stuff you could really call a perennial, you know. And I know DC's always been better at that historically, right? At kind of the hey, you can just hand somebody a graphic novel within their line and, and get them started. Like they have better books for that. Um, but Marvel's list is so flipping weird. <laughs> it's really strange to the point where I'm like, do they care about selling graphic novels, trade collections? You know, obviously they want to be number one in print comics because they maintain that forever and they sell a gazillion variant covers to do it. But as far as like actual collected editions, like why isn't that a bigger push? Why isn't the MCU like, hey, the Marvels, everyone should check out Miss Marvel, volume one. That's an easy one to hand people. You know, they could be making that push, but they, they don't ever really seem to do that. You know, uh, it's, it's strange. It's really strange. I don't know how to get there. How'd I get there? What are we talking about? The X-Force sales? Again, I don't care, but like I, on title alone, I think X-Force is a pretty sure bet. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm a little hard pressed to believe that this Percy run has built such fandom and acclaim and, and buzz. Like if it, if it has done that, good for the series, good for Percy. Okay, I'm not rooting against it, but I'm saying like, where is that buzz? Literally, where? I don't know. Is it all in comic shops? Is, like, every comic you shop you go into, are they like, hey, you got to read X-Force number 43? Like, is that what's happening? Do they have an amazing variant scheme? I don't get it. So I, I would assume that if it's steady in sales, you know, it's because it's a it's a X-Force book with Wolverine on the cover. And Deadpool, you know? Um, which maybe speaks to, like, how much does Buzz matter? How important is it to actually have critical or or fandom communities supporting a book if really all that matters is that we slapped a familiar name on it and familiar characters on the cover? And the folks who walk into comic shops regularly tend to buy that, you know? And that's that's the thinking that kills me. That's the thinking that makes me super depressed <laughs> about the future of Marvel because it's so short-term, you know? It's such short-term thinking. And, and it's, it's really depressing in terms of the quality of the story. Um, I'm not saying this book should be canceled. I do think, you know, it should have turned over by now. It's too much runway. Nobody likes sitting on the runway that long, right? Who has ever landed after a long flight and said to themselves, oh, man, I, I just really want to sit on this runway for longer. <laughs> can I? I'm not done with my book yet. Pilot, excuse me, can we please sit here for another three hours. I would love to wait. Actually, you know what? Can we just drive around the tarmac here and just, I'll tell you when I'm done with the book. I'm reading X-Force. It's going to take a while. I got 43 issues to go and nothing's happened yet. It's going to take me a minute. Can we just drive around the tarmac for a minute? Right? Come on. The Invincible Maker says, if you want Percy Buzz, go to the Cerebro Discord. (sighs) Listen. I'm not going to say too much. I'm not going to get myself in trouble. I think if you want buzz for anything, you go to the Cerebro Discord. Very positive space. Right? Very positive face. Like, that is that is undying X-Men fandom. <laughs> right? That is, that is very fiery, passionate X-Men fandom. Yeah. Okay. Okay, final question. Which Wolverine do you love from Logan to Gabby to the Nightcrawler Wolverine? 
Um, are we leaving out Laura? I mean, I think I like Laura the most right now. I mean, actually, I mean, who doesn't like Gabby the most? But I, I guess if we're just talking Wolverine family, so we've got like Ken and Laura and Gabby and what's her new name? Scout. Nightcrawler Wolverine, meaning the, uh, the Nightcrawler's futuristic one. That, I mean, that was a cool version of the character. I, I would go Laura. I think that's the character that has the most potential. All new Wolverine was really good. Uh, a bit underutilized, definitely, in the Hoxpox era. But but has the most potential. I mean, listen, I'm I'm a sucker for classic OG Logan Wolverine. I think the problem with Wolverine mostly that I have is Wolverine Logan is rarely, if ever, in a actual solo comic that I really enjoy. Um, solo Wolverine comics tend to be very passable, I think, and that to me is like, well, I think I like this character, but they never seem to really be able to to carry a solo book. But I love Logan. I mean, come on. It's weird to me when there are X-Men fans who are like, you know, I love everyone except I hate Wolverine. <laughs> it's like, really? You're at all these X-Men comics and the one character you don't like is Wolverine. The one who became the most popular. You know? <laughs> and, and is tremendously cool in the early stuff especially. There's a lot, like the problem with Wolverine is there's a you know volume problem. There's too much. And definitely over the 2000s, I mean, being on every team, being on the Avengers and all that, like, listen, there was an overexposure problem. I don't disagree. But as stories go, he's pretty cool. Kid Mystic says, Comic Story made a video about Marvel dying. He said that there were no good Marvel books, yet the only X-Men books he is reading is Wolverine and (laughs) X-Force. That's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, I, I took some heat. Definitely from uh, a few people in comments after I talked about how I contributed to the very good sketch article that David Harper wrote about, you know, wondering about Marvel's problems. Because they are, they're not dying. I mean, that's YouTube hyperbole. Um, but there's definitely a feeling of like, yeah, they're stuck. And and it's a malaise. And I'm disillusioned with where they're at right now. And I took some heat over that from people who are like, yeah, but you're not reading every comic. Which is a really silly argument. <laughs> First off... The one argument, much like I started the podcast talking about, like, okay, listen, I'm pretty comfortable with my voice. <laughs> I think it sounds okay on mic. I'm pretty comfortable with the amount. If the, if the criticism is you haven't read enough Marvel comics, I don't feel especially attacked by that. <laughs> I promise you I've read far too many. Okay? I promise you I have read far too many, including the recent stuff. People be like, oh, he's not caught up on Venom, which was true, which is why I opened with an apology here <laughs> today. Um, but it's like, listen, I'm still reading a majority of, of books as they come out, so we have these conversations weekly. Uh, so I, I, get, I get the potential backlash to throw in shade here <laughs> at somebody who's like, there's no good Marvel. But if you're, all, if you're literally only reading Wolverine and X-Force, now I guess the counterargument there would be like, yeah, I'm only reading those two because I tried everything else and they stink. Right? That would be the potentially logical counterpoint. Um, although I would say, certainly, I don't put a lot of stock in somebody who tried X-Men Red, tried Immortal X-Men, tried uh, Fantastic Four, tried Moon Knight, tried Immortal Thor, and came away from that and said, the only books I like are X-Force and Wolverine. <laughs> right? I'm not particularly worried about that person's tastes invalidating my own, I would say for sure. 
Uh, listen, YouTube loves, loves talking about the death of comics, as has the comics internet, as has comics fandom forever and ever. Amen. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you need them views in this culture. Listen, this stuff doesn't pay especially well unless you're massive and you get millions of visits. Uh, and, and every day it's getting harder to market these things. So people are going to oversell and outrage and pretend and masquerade and oversell things. I would say if you're interested in an actual strong perspective on the state of Marvel, again, that sketch.com article that David Harper wrote, you're going to need a membership to read the whole thing, but I promise it's worth it. He does some of the best comics journalism in the biz. Um, that piece I contributed to with quite a few quotes, uh, that's really good. That gives a fair, balanced perspective from retailers who are trying to sell the books, from historians like myself, from, <laughs> yes, I'm smiling, uh, from, from critics like Oliver Sava, who's written at the AV Club. That's the best content you're going to find on that subject matter. Okay. Uh, the Nora points out, Percy is the most comfort food comics in the Krakoan era. Um, that might, be, no, I think Duggan is. I think Duggan is. Percy's more in that category, I think, for sure. Um, but I think Jerry Duggan is, is very comfort food comics. Writes a very relatively safe, kind of, you know, loving, respect for the characters superhero book. I, I would, you know, and again, like, comfort food can be used as pejoratively or as positively as you want it. Uh, but the reality is comfort food is something most people enjoy. <laughs> That's why I like it as, as a positive reputation. If somebody says to you, would you like some comfort food? You probably say yes. You know? Uh, so I, I would give that title to Duggan. Okay. JJ says, DC and Marvel is dying cause of fatigue or cause of fatigue. You can only do a crisis or secret war so many times. Boom, IDW and other publishers are really doing more right now. I mean, celebrating IDW, you, you picked a bad time. <laughs> they just like, they just canceled a ton of books. They're pulling, uh, you know, funds from creators who they promised creator on work to. IDW struggling. Um, I think it's a bad time to be a comic publisher in general. You know, I mean, there's 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 real fatigue. There's real challenges. Marketing books right now. It's probably harder than it's ever been. Like Musk pulled the plug on Twitter, which did ge generate genuine buzz. I'm not like <laughs> I'm not like Twitter guy number one, you know. Um, but that was like there were a lot of comics communities established, and it was an easy, established way to talk about things. And now people are fleeing, <laughs> and it's been made perpetually worse, seemingly intentionally, for quite some time. Like it's just it's hard to market a comic. It's always been hard to market a comic. Okay, um, that's why the value of somebody like a James Gunn with the following that they have talking about a comic is so flippin' enviable on the MCU side, you know? Um, but I, yeah, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't post up DC and Marvel saying, oh, they're especially fatigued compared to any of the traditional non-big two ones right now because I don't think the non-big two ones are in amazingly healthy places either. You know, Image is a, a perpetually muddied bag since, like, 2016. Boom definitely turns out some nice books. Don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't say, like, we're having a boom -a You know? 
Um, I mean, I don't know if I go up and down my best comics of the year list, like it's really varied. You're going to find some Fantagraphics. You're going to find some drawn and quarterly. I mean, I think first second is probably the most consistent publisher that exists right now. Um, but they, you know, they don't publish a heck of a lot of print comics, if any, right. It's all graphic novels and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, DC seems like they're kind of recovering, frankly. Seems like the general vibe there is like pretty positive. And Marvel is again, it's not it's not a state of dying. It's a state of of stasis. It's a state of like Marvel Fresh Start was in 2018. What are you now? You know? That's the problem. It's like, what are you? What is the center of the universe? I think the problem too is like the center of this universe is the X-Men. So they they go right now as the X-Men go. And the X-Men buzz died in 2021. Doesn't mean all the comics are bad. Doesn't mean all the storytelling potential died. Fall of X is interesting. But the buzz died in 2021. Anyway, how do we get there? How'd y'all keep me here this long? All right, final chance. Any final interesting questions, I'll answer them. Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. All right, final question. Braden asks, Hey Dave, Doom had dinner with Storm. She broke the table. Dinner with Eddie broke the table. Who's Doom going to have dinner with next, and will they break the table? The answer is, of course, Namor, in a revisit of the new Avengers scene, written by Jonathan Hickman, in which Namor has dinner with Doom and his son Kristoff, in the interest of of enlisting Dr. Doom's aid with the Cabal, pre-Secret Wars. But this time, Doom is going to try to enlist the aid of Namor in fighting back against Orcus. He's not going to like what Orcus is doing, sabotaging his plans to sabotage all of Krakoa. He doesn't like that they took that from him. He wanted his revenge. He's going to try to enlist Namor's aid. Namor's going to reject him. He's going to side with the mutants. He's going to finally join them. And it will be Doom himself who breaks the table, not Namor. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next time the comics are good. I'm Dave, Comic Herald. Enjoy the comics. See you next year.